0: Amen, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 9 Acts chapter number 9 Also take out your handout if you'd like to follow along With some notes today How many of you are looking forward to fall weather? Raise your hand I know I am This Indian summer can leave I want fall weather I want cool mornings Dry weather How many of you are thankful that Humidity is not forever (laughs) Man, it's been rough Anyway, we're continuing our study today in Acts chapter number 9 The title of this series is Revitalize a Church Health Checkup I shared with you a few weeks ago that one of my greatest burdens as a pastor Is to make sure that the church that God has called me to and entrusted me with That it's being led to spiritual health and vitality and to make sure that it's not in the process of dying. Uh, and so that's the, that's the goal, is that we be a thriving church, a healthy church. And, um, and so is the church sick? How sick is it? Uh, a book I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and many of you have already given feedback to me, is this book entitled Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And out of all the research that Tom Rainer has done in researching churches, he said that only about 10% of churches in America would be considered healthy. And you might say, well, what does the word healthy mean? Well, read the book and find out how he defines that. And he says that 80% fall into either the symptoms of sickness or the very sick category, and then 10% of churches are dying. And so uh, many of you have already read this book and you've given me some great feedback. I'm so thankful for that. That is such an encouragement to a, to a pastor that, that you would invest those one or two hours that it probably took you to read this, maybe longer, to uh, read the book and to then give me feedback on it, to, to share with me where, where you think we're strong but also where you think that we're showing signs and symptoms of sickness. And how many of you know that um, sometimes... When you get sick, you try to tackle it with home remedies. How many of you fall into the home remedy camp and you try to beat your sickness with grandma's, uh, you know, secret recipe? I better be careful saying secret recipe. That could be taken to something else. But anyway, if you've watched the Waltons. But anyway, um, some of y'all have watched the Waltons. What I mean is like medicinal uh, uh, things, you know, rub a little. uh, When I used to have aches and pains in my body, grandma would tell me to rub a little WD-40 on it. Like, how is that supposed to work for anything anyway? Um, but how many of us know that sooner or later, you can try the home remedies, but sooner or later, you got to get to a doctor. You have to get some outside professional help to help, you sh- to help show you where you're sick and how to best treat that. And so here in this series in, in September, we're, again, we're calling it Revitalize, a church health checkup and just asking ourselves the questions. What are, what are the symptoms of sickness? What are the signs of health? Uh, how can we grow more effective together as a body? We said in week one that this is a matter of stewardship. God has called us together and equipped it and gifted us these amazing resources, this amazing moment of opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel into our culture. How many of you are excited about that opportunity? I'm excited about that opportunity. I've never been more excited in all my life. You might say, but pastor, did you see the news this week? It seems like the days are darker. Great, the darker the days, the brighter the light shines. Amen. Yeah, the brighter the light shines. You know what? What a contrast between light and darkness. And so we get to shine his truth into a culture that, yes, is getting darker. But what an opportunity to cast the gospel against that background And show people the difference that the gospel makes That a relationship with God makes And so we are called to be faithful stewards of this And we want to be faithful And we said that faithfulness really is is also fruitfulness And so that was week one Week two, last week we looked at This phrase one another And we said that a church that is healthy And thriving is a church that Understands the value and the vitality Of the phrase one another and again You gave me great feedback Kim Vickery thank you so much for the Feedback that you gave on Facebook this week About this message and your desire To grow deeper in relationships With one another and so that's going to be A focus of our church moving forward And how we can build one another Up and encourage one another This week we're looking at a sermon entitled Five Signs of a Healthy Church from Acts chapter 9 So let's look there in Acts chapter 9 verses 26 through 21 It says in verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. If you know the story, Saul was not a Christian for many years. In fact, he was killing Christians. And so when they heard, when the early church heard that Saul had gotten saved, they're like, yeah, right. That's just a ploy you're using to try to get into the churches to find out who's really a believer so you can go later and arrest them and kill them. And so, so, the church was very suspicious. It would be like Osama bin Laden getting saved and coming to our church next week. We'd be like, yeah, right. That, that's really the same parallel that, uh, that we could liken this to. So the church was suspicious, but look at verse 27. But Barnabas, oh, do you know what a healthy church is full of? Barnabases. <laughs> it's full of Barnabases. Yeah, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went, out, went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Now look at verse 31, that's our key focus this morning. Verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Father, I pray that you would bless this study today in your word, and that as a result, we would be healthier as a church family. And Father, I pray that through this sermon today, that you would stir our hearts by your spirit with the desire to want to be healthy. Sometimes we've been unhealthy for so long that health is painful at first. Health is not normal at first. And so, Father, I pray that today you would stir us, challenge us, exhort us, encourage us, equip us by your word through the power of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. All God's people said. Amen. Several years ago, I was at the home of one of our church families enjoying some, what good Baptist pastors do, food and fellowship. Can I get an amen? I was enjoying some food and fellowship. And all of a sudden, I got overheated and I got very uh, sweaty. I, I began to perspire profusely. At that point, a wise brother in the Lord named George Bowers looked at me and said, Pastor, you might need to take your blood pressure reading. And on his advice and counsel, I did that. I took my blood pressure and found out, uh uh-oh, my numbers were really high. Now, I should have been aware of that. I come from a high-strung family. Blood pressure issues on both sides of the family tree, right, Mama? Yeah, blood pressure issues. So I should have been looking at it. But what do they say about blood pressure? It's the silent killer. Because unless you're looking at the numbers, unless you're looking at those numbers on a regular basis, it can creep up on you and it can kill you so why is it so essential to regularly check all those numbers those metrics because those numbers will give you a good indication of either how healthy you are or how healthy you ain't all right and so in looking at our physical health we often look at several numbers to help us gain a clearer picture of of where we're at now a lot of us don't like this number a lot of us avoid this number. Can I get a witness? How many of you are like, ah, I'd rather not get that number. Can I, can I have a show of hands to confess? How many of you would rather not get this number? Um, yeah, yeah. We, sometimes we avoid numbers, but when you go to the doctor and you've got symptoms of sickness, what do they do? They check your numbers. They look at blood pressure, they look at temperature, they look at uh, uh, your weight, they look at blood sugar, they look at blood cholesterol numbers, and they run all those numbers as metrics to gain an idea of whether you're healthy or whether you're not healthy. Now, can numbers lie sometimes? Sure they can, but most of the time, those numbers are going to give you a good indication as to where you're at with your health. And so these indicators are signs that help us to either continue healthy habits or change current ones so that we'll live longer and enjoy a healthier life. We know that the Bible refers to the church with this metaphor of a human body. And so the church is the body of Christ. And it can either be a healthy body or an unhealthy body. If we use numbers and tests to evaluate physical health, then are there tests or signs that could help us to assess our church's spiritual health? If you have spent any time in an activity, uh, in in the activity of a congregation that's healthy, you sense health in that church. Um, They just ooze life and and, and energy and trust and and life transformation. These churches are contagious in their atmosphere. They attract people. They engage people. They empower people to live the Spirit-filled life. Healthy churches make more and better disciples of Jesus through the power of His grace. And here in Acts 9 that we just read, we study the early church and we see five signs that pointed to their health and vitality. So what are some of the indicators that this church was thriving and vibrant? Did it just involve spiritual signs or were there tangible, evidential signs that the church was healthy and thriving? So, five evidences of a healthy church. Are you ready to write these down? The first one we find in the very first half of the verse, 31... Peace. The first sign that this church was healthy was that it was a church at peace or a church at rest. Look at verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. These churches had peace. That's what that word rest means. It's the Greek word erene. It means peace, rest. What does this mean? Did the early church not have conflict? I mean, is peace the absence of conflict? because if you study the early church they have lots of conflict lots of potential conflict um, no, of course the early church was dealing with conflict. They were dealing with doctrinal conflict. They were dealing with questions of, okay, how much of the law in the Old Testament still applies to a New Covenant, New Testament believer? What was the purpose of the law? And so there were many debates. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that. In fact, one of the famous discussions is found in Acts 15, where there was a lot of potential cause for conflict. So peace isn't the absence of conflict. So so the good news is, is to be a healthy church, it doesn't mean that we're not going to face conflict we will in fact another area where they were facing conflict was in who to let in the church i mean right here in this passage they were not sure that they were going to let saul in you know who gets into the church and that's a big debate right but so we see that there's potentials for conflict now what i love ronald reagan said it this way what a great president he was and had some great quotes he said this peace is not the absence of conflict." It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And so the early church, one of the signs that they were spiritually healthy and thriving was they were a church that was at peace, which also implied unity. We talked about that quality last week. Go back and listen to last last week's message for that. And so they were at peace. They were enjoying the peace of God because they had peace with God. And so today, in order to ever experience the peace of God through the midst of conflict, you have to have peace with God. And that is in knowing Jesus Christ, his son, having a personal relationship with him. And so when you have peace with God, then you have the peace of God through whatever, through whatever circumstance or conflict or situation you find yourself in. And then when you have peace with God and the peace of God, then guess what you also have? You have peace with other people. You're, you're, you're able to be a peacemaker and not a controversy stir aren't you thankful for peacemakers on social media I'm thankful for peacemakers on social media Um, are we a peacemakers are we a church that's at peace and so do we have peace with God do we have the peace of God do we have peace with other believers you can tell if a congregation is walking in the spirit or in the flesh by the peace that is present or absent in their gatherings look at this verse Romans 8 verse 6 for to be carnally minded is death. What does that mean? To be walking according to the flesh, to be living just out your sinful desires and passions is death. But to be spiritually minded, to be led by the Spirit, is life and peace. One of the great signs that the early church was healthy and thriving was it was, it, was a church that was at peace. A church that was at peace. It says in Romans 14, 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. So are we following after peace or are we always looking for non-peace? Are we always looking for a fight or are we always looking for a solution to the conflict? And so I love how this verse ends. It says, seek for those things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another which leads us to the second sign that this church was healthy and thriving so this church was at peace with one another they had the peace of God because they had peace with God they had peace with one another but secondly we see not only the sign of peace but the sign of edification look at this uh, verse here it says again in verse 31 then the churches had rest and were edified we talked about this word last week as well we talked about the word edified and we talked about what that word means what does that word mean it means to build up someone rather than tear them down and so this church was healthy and thriving because they were at peace with one another there was unity there was a spirit of peace and it's because they were focused on how to build one another up rather than tear one another down and so uh, what is edification it means to promote growth within someone by teaching them, encouraging them, and doing loving deeds to them. And I love how this quality is personified in good old Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas, one, two, three. Barnabas. We don't hear too many people with that name today. And what's so neat about Bible names is they had meaning, real depth of meaning. The word Barnabas meant literally son of encouragement, son of encouragement. And so edification was personified in Barnabas. Um, Talk about a good name. Barnabas had a good name. A good name, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And so Barnabas had a good name. He was a person who looked to build people up. So look at it. Verse 26 and 27, it says, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, He is to join himself to disciples. Saul's like, hey, I'm a a new convert. I'm going to join up with the disciples, man. We're going to have a good old time. And they're like, "Uh, aren't you the guy who's been murdering us? And so Barnabas steps in and takes him, brings him to the apostles, declares them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and basically is a testimony about Saul's life over the last couple of years. Barnabas stood next to Paul and vouched for him. One of the signs of a church that is healthy and thriving is, we, is there are people who have the attitude of Barnabas. They don't have the attitude of a Diotrephes or a Eudeus or a Syntyche. We'll look at those, those names here in a second. Barnabas had a good name. When people heard the name Barnabas, their, their first thoughts were, man, yeah, I can't wait to spend some time with him. I can't wait to be around him. He's always looking for the best in people. He's always looking for how he can help people grow to be better, more and better disciples of Jesus through the power of his saving and transforming grace. That was Barnabas's, <laughs> Barnabas's focus. He was an encourager. He was an edifier. That's the sign of a healthy church. Full of people who aren't just waiting for somebody to stumble and fall No, 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 they're there before that happens And they're going to help people keep from falling By encouraging, speaking words of truth in moments of need They're going to be there showing them the love of Christ Barnabas had a good name A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches And loving favor rather than silver and gold He had a good name There were some other people who didn't have a good name Go ahead and put those list of names up there So you got Barnabas, he's a good name But if you know anything about these guys in the Bible in the New Testament, they aren't mentioned in a good light. Diotrephes, someone who was always looking to control the church, to control this. He wasn't a pastor, he wasn't on the leader. He was just a guy always looking for preeminence, always looking for the limelight. So that was Diotrephes. And then you had Euodius and Syntyche there. We mentioned them last week. They were always bickering with one another. They were fighting. So literally Paul in Philippians 4 verse two says, uh, hey guys, get along. Stop fighting. And so one of the signs of a healthy and thriving church is a church that is at peace. It's a church that's focused on edifying one another, building up one another. You know, it is so easy in our culture today, isn't it? To tear people down. In fact, it doesn't take any work to tear people down because let's face it, all of us have qualities in our life that are blind spots or maybe they're even not blind spots. We know about them. They're just bad things about us. And it's easy to see the flaws in people. But how about singing the good? Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Edify. I want to challenge you this week. Find five people this week to edify and build up. You know what? Some of our marriages would change drastically. By the way, we start our marriage small group tonight. Well, our marriages would change drastically if we just started investing good words into our marriages. There's a lot of things you appreciate about your spouse. When was the last time they heard it? A healthy and thriving marriage will be because both spouses decide, I'm going to edify rather than tear down my spouse. How about you speak truth into your spouse's life? How about you call out the gospel and the spirit in them by saying, you know what, honey, I see that faith in you and I see you leading our home. Hey, wives, I want to challenge you. Encourage your husbands in the area of leadership by encouraging them when you do see them leading. Uh, encourage your children when you see them uh, living right. <laughs> you know, because sometimes, a lot of times they don't. We love you, young people. But, but many times they don't. So parents, it's easy for us to get after them when they do wrong. But when's the last time we got after them because they did right? So we, we have to do that. Edification. Moving on. So, so this church was healthy because they were at peace. Number two, they were, they were healthy because they were edifying one another. Number three, they were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. Look back at this. It says, and they were edified walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? How many of you have grown up your whole life in church and you're like, what does the fear of the Lord mean? In fact, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you to pull an audible, okay? Can you pull up amazing grace, my chains are gone, in that verse where it says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but grace my fear is relieved." Will you pop that up there real quick? I noticed this this morning. It's interesting how songs get selected. I didn't choose this song this morning, but when I saw this verse, I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about that in our message. How many of you have ever sang this verse of this hymn, and you're like, all right, I don't understand something. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. So am I to fear the Lord or not fear the Lord? Because then you have other verses, like 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Let's look at these verses. It says, but God's not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 1 John 4, 18 says, go ahead, uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, or fear it pertains to punishment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Well, that's interesting. So, so there's a fear that we should have, but there's a fear that's not really connected to the gospel. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a second, and, and, and then the next verse I love this one, Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. We know who we are in the gospel. So what does this phrase, when it says that they were walking in the fear of the Lord, what does that mean? Because clearly there's a kind of fear that God doesn't want us to have. But yet there's another kind of fear that's a part of a believer's life because clearly this church was healthy and they were walking in some kind of fear. So was this a fear that they were always walking cautious under the smiting hand of God? No, that's not the kind of fear that we're talking about. However, if you read the Old Testament, most of the times when it talks about fear in the Old Testament, it's talking about this fear of if I don't live right, I'm gonna get punished. And thus, 1 John 4, 18 says, fear pertains to judgment or to punishment. So walking in the fear of the Lord, this is important for us to understand because it shows whether we have a firm foundation and grasp on the gospel So what does the Bible mean when it says then to fear the Lord? Here's what it means and here's a definition to give to you To fear God is to worship him It's to give him the reverence and honor that are due his name This sort of fear has nothing to do with pain and punishment But is a proper response to who got to a God who is holy A God who is righteous, awesome, and good. I like how one writer said it about this New Testament fear of the Lord and the meaning of this phrase. He says, If you know God is your heavenly Father, then understand that the fear of the Lord, that phrase, is not cowering before his smiting hand, it's trembling before his eternal goodness. That's a beautiful illustration of what the fear of the Lord is to a believer who has received Jesus Christ. Now, listen, if you don't know Christ, There is a lot to fear, Jesus said in his gospel. He said, don't fear those who can just take your physical life, but rather fear him who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. And listen, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the reality is if someone rejects Christ, they bring death and doom upon themselves. And so God is not willing for that. But yes, there is a healthy fear, a terror of the Lord by which we persuade men. But for those who are now in Christ, that fear has been removed. There is no longer. God did not give us a spirit of fear. You see, there's a difference between demonic fear and biblical fear. This church had a biblical fear, a holy awe and reverence for who God is. They trembled at the goodness of who he is, his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness. They walked in the fear of the Lord. So a healthy church then is a church that is certain of God's heart toward them, which ignites a heart of loving adoration and worship. Now, let's go back to a couple of verses to show you why I know that the fear of the Lord and it is it's tied to worship Jesus quoted an Old Testament verse in Matthew 4 verse 10 Let's just look at that real quick Then said Jesus unto him, get thee hence Satan, for it is written Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve So, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 Look at Deuteronomy 6.13 Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name so Jesus gives us the permission to, uh, to say that the fear of the Lord is a worship of him. It's a reverence and honor that are due his name. And this sort of fear has nothing to do with pain and punishment, but is a proper response to who God is in his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness. And so we tremble at his goodness. So this church was walking in the fear of of the Lord, And if we are going to be a healthy and thriving church, we're going to be a church that is passionate about walking in the fear of the Lord, worshiping him, adoring him, trembling at the goodness of who he is, understanding the gravity and the weight of the gospel. Oh, man. You know, sometimes we just don't, we just lose our sense of awe at the cure because we didn't realize how sick we were. You know, for people who have gone through a life-threatening illness, they become very thankful for doctors and for the remedies and the cures that have been discovered and given. For some of us, we've been saved so long that we, we no longer tremble at who God is. And, and so we come in here and, and, and we sing through songs and words just go in one ear and out the other and there's no arresting of the attention, there's no capturing of the heart and the affection to say, God, you are worthy. This church had a very deep sense of that, of an awe before God, an adoration for God, and affection for God. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so if we're going to be a healthy and thriving church, we're going to be a church that's at peace. We're going to be a church that is edifying one another. We're going to be a church that is walking in the fear of the Lord. But fourthly, we see here another sign of their health and thriving is found in this phrase, they were also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So write that down, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to spend much time here because we're going to touch upon this again later in the series, but this phrase, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, is powerful. It's a powerful insight because it reminds us of the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit to those who are believers, a part of God's church. (laughs) Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he would send to us the Comforter. That he may abide with you forever. And so the Holy Spirit's primary ministry for us as believers is to be our helper, to be our comforter, to spur us on in Christian growth. And so this church had a very clear sense of the Holy Spirit's role in ministry in their body together, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them into all truth. They didn't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. They wanted to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through them just like he did on that day of Pentecost where they were able to minister to 3,000 people and see them get saved. And so a church that is healthy and thriving is a church that is filled and controlled by the Spirit. And they're allowing that spirit to reveal all truth to them about the gospel. Romans 5, verse 5, I love this verse because it says, Hope does not make ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts? How do we gain a deeper sense of appreciation and awareness and understanding of the gospel? By the Holy Ghost, right there from God's word. By the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. And so, one of the signs that we're walking in the Spirit, that we're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, is we are allowing the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to us, to minister the gospel, the depths of the gospel. I've told you many times before, the gospel's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just the basic beginnings. No, it's the A to the Z. It's everything in between. And so, the gospel justifies us. The gospel transforms us. And so... Sensitivity to the Spirit's leading and direction. He is our ultimate counselor. And that was a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in this church. Peace, edification, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, which all led to this final sign of a healthy and thriving church. Notice it says at the end of verse 31 and were multiplied. Multiplied. The church grew. Now, did it grow in some of these spiritual ways, in peace and in edification and in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit? Yes. And what I would argue is, is that before a church ever grows numerically, the church grows spiritually. And so if a body is not healthy, the body cannot reproduce cells. The body cannot bear forth new life. But to say that reproduction, that multiplication is not a part of church growth and church health and church thriving is to ignore the scriptures. Because, yes, you could say here, well, multiplied. Maybe, maybe uh, 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 Luke was just saying that they multiplied in their joy together. Well, I'm thankful for how scripture interprets scripture because this word multiplied, whenever it's used in the Bible, on, on most occasions, there's probably one or two that I'm not thinking of, but in most occasions when this is used, it's using in connection to physical metrics, to numbers, you know, j- just like we talked about, you know, gauging your, your, your temperature, your blood pressure, your weight, your blood sugar. We look at all those numbers which tell us whether we're healthy or not healthy. And certainly for a church, one of the things that we can gauge to see whether we're healthy or unhealthy is, are we making more and better disciples of Jesus? Look at Acts 6 verse 7, it's up on the screen. It says, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied. Notice that word multiplied is clearly tied to numbers. Numbers of the disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. You know what God wants to do? He wants to greatly grow his church. He wants to, amen, he wants to greatly grow his church. He is not interested in losing ground to the enemy. He's interested in gaining ground. He's he's interested in building forth his kingdom, seeing more people from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, your neighbors down the street, your coworkers at work, your family members. He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of him. And so God is a God of increase. And I would argue that he's a God of exponential increase. It says here that the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So it's God's joy to increase his people. This church was healthy because this church had peace. They were focused on edifying one another. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and because of that, they multiplied. I remind you a couple of weeks ago that the two servants that were considered good and faithful were the servants who had multiplied their master's resources and opportunities. And so that gets us to the scales, right? That gets us to the to the weight scale, to the BP reader, to the temperature, to all those other things we use to measure numbers. We can't deny. That one of the signs of spiritual health in a church is numerical growth. And so for us to be obedient believers, faithful servants, good and faithful servants, our desire should be, God, we want to see this church grow spiritually and numerically because that brings glory to your name. We bring more glory to God when we bring more people to know God. That's, that's the reality. And so metrics, measuring numbers, it doesn't mean everything, but it does mean something. As we said earlier, in rare instances, can numbers lie? Sure. Are there churches that are growing numerically that aren't healthy? Of course there are. Hey, you know what? Cancer grows rather rapidly. And so just because things are growing numerically doesn't mean you're healthy. However, you can't say you're healthy for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never grow numerically. Do you see the difference? Do you see why this church... Multiplied, it's because they were focused on the gospel. They were living it out. It brought them peace. It had helped them to focus on not what could divide them. And listen, it could, they could have very easily been divided. Jew, Gentile, uh, uh, Saul the murderer versus the Christians who he had tried to murder. I mean, there are so many reasons why this church should have never made it out of the first century. But aren't you thankful? I mean, think about it. We wouldn't have possibly 13 books of the Bible today in the New Testament. If Barnabas hadn't have stood up for Paul, I'm convinced that when we stand before the Lord and there's an account given, Barnabas is going to be there right next to Paul. And so, church, do you desire spiritual health and physical health in this church body? Let me ask you some questions as we close. I'm going to have the worship team come up here and get ready to lead us in a final song. Let me ask you some questions. Number one, are people walking toward faith and coming to Christ here in our church? If they're not, I hope that you will be burdened with me about that. Are people walking towards faith and coming to Christ here in our gathering? Number two, is there ongoing life change occurring in our church Do we see new believers and old believers growing in relationships, growing in attitudes, growing in actions and thoughts and perspective? Are disciples being made? Is discipleship a priority? So are people coming to faith in Christ? Is there ongoing life change occurring in Christ? And then is there this self-sustaining and multiplication of life? Listen. Church health should be our passion. It should be our burden. I am passionately uh, focused on that, that we cannot just continue to think that we're healthy. No, we gotta look at the numbers and say, okay, are we as healthy as we can be? Are these areas peace, edification, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost? Are these areas where we need to grow, where we need to evaluate? Let's face it, we can get the diagnosis from the doctor, but we've got to be willing to receive the treatment. What's the remedy? What's the treatment in all these situations? Well, God gives it to some churches in Revelation. He says, repent. Change your mind, repent, and return to the first works." And so as we worship here and close our service today, I want to encourage you to, if the Spirit leads you to, as the Spirit leads would you just get there on your knees or you can walk to the front and, or maybe grab someone, maybe your spouse or, or a family member or brother or sister in Christ and just pray together for the health of our church, that we would be healthy, that we would reflect these qualities. And then if you don't know Christ, oh, my, my friend, the reason that we exist as a church is to bring glory to God through seeing more and better disciples so more we want you to be saved god wants you to be saved do you really know christ do you have a relationship with him do you understand why you need one